Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray, and I am your host. I am joined by our mentor director, Haley Lucas. Say hi, Haley. Hi. Um, And Haley has recently switched teams internationally. She's a pro soccer player in Budapest. And we, this week, are going to interview her on the process of what is it like to be an international professional soccer player? How do you become an international soccer player? And um, just sort of a day in the life of what these players do. So without further ado, please welcome Haley Lucas. Hi guys, thanks for having me. So Haley, let's start with, we, I think most of our listeners um, and people that know female footballers know that you're our mentor director and that you played uh, collegiately at UC Berkeley. But why don't you take us from there when you graduated, kind of the process into how you got into playing internationally, if you don't mind. Yeah, so at Cal, definitely the goal was not necessarily to be a professional soccer player. It was an opportunity that kind of came to me as my career progressed collegiately and it was going really well. And these kind of opportunities seemed like a real possibility. So around my sophomore, junior year of college was when I decided to kind of start preparing for that. And I had always intended to play internationally because I wanted the cultural experience. Of course, we don't get to travel abroad too often as college athletes. So getting to live somewhere else, continue playing soccer um, just seems like a really cool life opportunity in addition to continuing to play the game I loved. So because I wanted to be as prepared as possible, I intended to graduate a semester early. So I'd be ready in December of 2017 um, for the following year in the event that I went to a country where the season starts in the spring, unlike some other um, countries where it's more of a year round system that is kind of like I've mentioned, kind of joked about my life is still in semesters. So it starts in the fall, you have a break and then you have your second part of the season. So that was kind of the preparation and then just needing to find an agent to contact these teams, come up with my highlight video. It was very unchartered territory for me. I don't really know any professional soccer players um, beyond those that played in the NWSL for the most part that went to Cal. A couple who played abroad, but most of them had some type of foreign tie, whether that was a foreign passport or they lived there before. So it was definitely a very new and kind of scary experience to approach um, coming out of college. Did the college, I mean, did UC Berkeley, I know that's a big Pac-12 school and there's many players that come out of smaller schools. Do any of these college programs provide um, an education on this is an opportunity, this is how you make a highlight reel, this is how you, you know, provide people at your beck and call to help you with this kind of stuff and how to find which teams are where, or were you like a pretty well-versed on watching teams overseas or and whatnot? Um, I think it's a mix. So at Cal specifically, they were really helpful in pulling my clips, helping me put highlight videos together. Um, I have since become pretty good at that. I mean, they're not the most exciting, like cinematic things, but they do their job. Um, so they were definitely helpful with that. I think that Cal specifically had a lot more ties to the NWSL and those opportunities than it did abroad. Um, because at the time, now it's gotten much better, but many agents, even as short as four years ago, there weren't that many in women's soccer, specifically ones that were helping abroad that had um, connections to American players. So I signed with an agent who was local. 
Um, mostly because I felt like he was the only, one of the only people available to me. I didn't have national team experience, so I wasn't going to be possibly signing with a bigger agency by any means, nor did I even hear about those opportunities. So it was kind of like putting my trust in him and kind of hoping for the best. But I also did a lot of research on clubs that I was interested in trying to find their emails. And honestly, I found my first professional experience with a cold email. So you can kind of, it kind of comes from anywhere, but you had to kind of be tenacious and um, be willing to send those emails, even if were you didn't your, know. Were your interests in the clubs based on where you wanted to live or was it based on the level of play in these, in these teams? I'd say a combination of both. Um, the team I ended up on was a team in Poland. And the only reason I really emailed, and that sounds so random to people, but the only reason I emailed them was because my family's Polish and I kind of wanted to see where I came from. And I said, you know, that'd be kind of a cool um, place to be. It's centrally located. And my main goal was to play in a top league. So in a division one league. So I didn't reach out to teams that weren't in the top league. So it was location-based, but also wanted that level of play to be high enough to where it was competitive. So you end up playing in Poland. When did that start? So you graduated December of 2017. When were you first in Poland? And kind of take us through like first getting there and your experience and thoughts there. So I ended up not having to go until June. So I didn't need to graduate early, but it was, it was nice to be home. I kind of felt like I was retired for six months. Like I did a lot of gardening, a lot of reading, um, all that kind of stuff, um, staying fit in preparation for going. So I went in June and signed my contract about a week after getting there um, for a year. I think for me, I didn't want to sign longer term contracts in places until I kind of knew what I was getting into. Because that's also a big thing. When you show up to these clubs, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. It's not like a college visit where you get to tour and kind of figure out what the situation is. You're, you show up, you've signed the contract and you kind of get what you get sometimes. And it's gotten so much better now with the women's game, but in Europe, it has taken time to develop facility-wise, resource-wise, and especially coming from a multi-million dollar athletic department like Cal at a D1 program, it's definitely an adjustment to kind of what you were provided with resource-wise at Cal to what you see pretty much in all leagues um, in Europe, unless you're playing on the PSGs or the Barcelonas. Mm -hmm. How interesting. So you get there and you didn't speak the language, I assume. No. Right? So how's the experience of starting to play in a team? I mean, that's a special type of player that chooses to go to a country where you don't speak the language, where you don't really know anybody and live abroad. It's no different, I guess, than living abroad in in school, which like you said, uh, I, I had the same experience where we don't get that opportunity as soccer players collegiately. So I can totally understand the, the interest in wanting to, but it definitely takes a special player to like be like, okay, I'm on my own, I'm gonna do this. And how scary is that? What is it like to play soccer? You can't really have conversations with your teammates. Yeah, so first off, I'm someone who's a homebody. My, my top choices for school were Cal, Santa Clara, Stanford, right in my backyard. There's no reason to leave California. And I love being close to my family. So moving to Europe in general was just a, a big deal and definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, I'll talk about this a little later, but so much growth just from that experience alone. But moving to Poland, yeah, it was 
it's considered one of the top 10 hardest languages to learn in general. So there wasn't much luck there. I did a little bit of Duolingo and I was like, I don't really know how much this is going to help me, but it really taught me how universal the language soccer is. If you can learn the words for left, right, man on, you don't really need much more than that. And it was particularly difficult because my coach spoke zero English. So you're having to, you're kind of on a need to know basis, which is okay at times if your coach is yelling at the team, you don't know what's being said and then you can kind of just play and not worry about it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely an adjustment, um, trying to figure out what your teammates want from you, what your coaches want from you, um, and working in those environments. But overall, I'd say it was pretty smooth once you kind of get those little communication things together. Do they provide like a translator at all? No. no. So most of the time, um, a teammate will be fluent in oh. both languages. So on every team I've been on, I've, we've had to rely on a teammate to translate like team talks. Um, two of my four, uh, yeah, two of my four coaches speak English in my, throughout my career. So that's, you definitely had to rely on um, your teammates for that. How interesting. So you're in Poland for a year. Yes. And, and how did that kind of go for you? Your first time, your first experience internationally? It was great. Um, I was able to get some really good experience. I think the big thing about playing pro soccer abroad is when you're being recruited by clubs, they like your film, but they want someone with professional experience, which is kind of like when someone for entry-level job wants you to have a bunch of experience. And you're like, well, I need to get it somehow. So it was kind of that of getting my foot in the door. And I think a big thing, a big theme throughout my professional career is I had to kind of start in a lower level league comparatively to other European countries to work my up, way up to where I wanted to be because I didn't have the national team experience. And European clubs don't really know too much about collegiate soccer in the U.S. in terms of the big name programs aren't, you're not necessarily going to be recruited from those, but some girls who go to maybe division two, II, division three schools will be recruited based on what they look like on film. So the clout of coming from a big Pac-12 school doesn't always necessarily translate when you're being recruited. That's super interesting. Yeah. So once you play in Poland and that ended, were you having to make your own film again to get to go to another program or another country? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So when I was thinking of leaving the club was probably around March or so. Um, I wanted to kind of experience something new, um, continue to push myself um, to the next level. So yeah, you're taking our, our film and you're breaking it down on your own, um, kind of happening behind the scenes, and then working with my agent to kind of look for that new club once the, the contract expires. Okay. And where did you end up next? So I was offered an opportunity to play in Serbia, which again, people were like, where is that? My mom, my mom would get texts or people would comment about it. They're like, you're going to let her play in Syria. And everyone was like, what? So people weren't really sure where Serbia was. I also got a few Siberia comments and I'm like, I don't think they play soccer out there. Serbia is in central Europe, but, um, the reason that I was drawn to it in particular was because they had qualified for Champions League. And so in Europe, the top teams in each country get to play against each other um, and compete. And it's a really 
probably the most prestigious tournament you can play in in women's soccer. So I jumped at the opportunity. It was only a six month contract, which to me, I feel like this experience has not only been soccer opportunities, but also adventure seeking and cultural opportunities. I probably would have never visited Serbia other than this experience. And it ended up being a, a wonderful place, um, beautiful country, but getting to play Champions League, we qualified, won our qualifications, then we got to play against Atletico de Madrid, which is a dream. And getting to play against these huge clubs when we were a smaller club from Serbia was pretty incredible. That's awesome. So you were there for six months. How about the language there and teammates and everything? Is that hard? More people spoke English there. Our coach was fluent in English. So there was really no problem there. And it was similar enough to Polish because it's a Slavic language that there were things I knew kind of to backtrack a little bit. Um, when I have been in these places, I kind of want to do something else, get involved as I'm involved with female footballers. Soccer is not all of my life. And so I was teaching English to Polish kids in the schools. And that was an adventure, not speaking any Polish. And but that was kind of the philosophy of this English teaching program was they wanted you to only speak English during the sessions. But it did force you to learn a bit more Polish. So I did pick up more of the language as I got there. And that was very helpful in being able to speak a little bit of Serbian. How interesting. So Serbia, you're there six months. And then what, what how do you determine what comes next? What were you wanting? So I was offered to remain at the club. They'd signed about six Americans for Champions League. Um, and for me, the soccer, I really enjoyed the, the soccer and the opportunities. But um, again, it was kind of a wanting to continue to push myself, knowing I could get to a higher level. And the Honestly, the Champions League experience is kind of what catapulted me to play where I played next, which was in the top league in France, because they saw my footage against Atletico Madrid and how well I had played in those games. And I was recruited um, to Onivon Kengon, which is a D1 team in France based on that Champions League um, success. So that was really pivotal in getting me to the next level. Can you repeat that team name one more time? Because that was impressive. <laughs> yeah. Onivon Gangon. It's a, they're from the Breton region of France. So it's this strange language where it's a mix of kind of like Welsh and Celtic and then French. So it doesn't look any way like it's spelled, but yeah, it's yeah. been, it was cool. When you joined Female Footballers, I just, anytime we mentioned that you played internationally, I had to say EAG because I just think that's Yeah, so that's easy. <laughs> So funny. So you were with them for a while. So when you joined Female Footballers, that's who Haley yes. played for. And tell us about that experience. So being able to play in France, that was when I was a junior in college, I was like, I want to play in France or England. Like just some American who's like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Like I'm going to play there. Um, before knowing like how difficult it is to play in those leagues, England in particular, because of all the immigration related um, restrictions they have, but also France, because it's arguably one of the top leagues in the world. I mean, Lyon, PSG, Bordeaux, you've got these amazing clubs that we get to play against. Um, so that experience alone, just being able to play in that league um, and find success there. Um, and it was also coupled by really downtimes. I had a really frustrating injury um, that sidelined me for about three months while I was there. But trying to also remember like you got to play against Formiga 
seven time world cup, um, player and things like that. So that coupled with some difficulties with coaching staff, um, my coach in particular was, uh, sometimes difficult to work with, not only from a language perspective, but also just his philosophy and not, I didn't always think was the most, um, feminist and would make comments that were inappropriate and dealing with those kind of things in soccer, where if you were in the U S the tolerance level would be much different. So ultimately an overall, very positive experience, but also still at the same time, having those very difficult moments and having to work through them. Yeah. I think that's an aside to the international game that girls here in America probably don't think about, um, which is just, you know, it's when you think culture, you think language, you think where you're living, all of that, but you don't always think about like how women are viewed in the sport and how that's going to be different every different place that you play. And I would say that even in, in America and NWSL, you're going to have a teeny level of that based on the city you play in and how they view soccer in general and then women's soccer. So, you know, certain areas where there's NWSL teams are bigger soccer communities than others, but overseas it's just this nobody knows about you know how women are viewed slightly differently over there in general and then on top of that you know soccer although it's the main sport it's still kind of newer for women to play soccer over there right for sure and I think as the news articles have mentioned like Lindsay Horan's experience playing at PSG and kind of the negativity is she um, experienced with body image and body shaming and stuff in France in particular, that's very real and things that we would experience at practice for weigh-ins, um, weekly where people, girls would not eat before training and they're going to sacrifice their performance. So they don't weigh more than they did before, or when they're on their period, the fluctuation and them not necessarily seeing that is something that happens. So it does add a added element that um, I had never really experienced in the U.S. And of course, I think at the collegiate level, there's definitely issues with body shaming and all that kind of stuff. But in my experience, I hadn't seen it so blatantly before. Yeah, that's super interesting. So your time at, in France ended up coming to an end kind of recently. So can you take us through, and a lot of our listeners probably don't know that you recently switched clubs and you now play in Budapest and we want to hear all about your new team and, and how it's going. Yeah, so I finished um, the end of last season in France. And for me, it was a good experience, but something I wanted to move on from. I just wanted to be in a better, healthier soccer environment. Um, and I couldn't be in a better place now. Uh, in Budapest, the team I'm playing for, they're called Ferenc Varus. They're um, one of the most historic sports clubs in Budapest. They have a bunch of sports um, and it's very, it's a, it's a big sports and historical culture um, around them. So it's cool to be part of kind of a big family. And that's how it feels. The girls, the coaching staff, everyone is so lovely and they've been great so far. And we just finished um, some Champions League qualification games. Unfortunately, we lost in PKs the other day, but the experience so far has been great. And I think the how my career has gone in terms of my trajectory of getting to a top league allowed me to have a bit more choice 
in where I wanted to go. And I've always wanted to live in a big city. Um, cultural experience and the life outside of soccer has always been very important to me. And so this experience allowed me to have that soccer at a competitive level, but also be able to really enjoy my life because we only play soccer a few hours a day. The rest of the day, you have to be living your life. And I couldn't be more happy to be here. That's definitely something we haven't touched on. And I find so interesting. Um, I'm married to a former professional soccer player and his schedule was about three to four hours a day. And the rest of the time they have time to do other things. So my husband was an entrepreneur and started different companies. I know you're very busy and you have time um, and, and you're putting it into awesome things. So can you tell everybody what you kind of do outside of your trainings and all of that? Yeah. So when I'm done playing soccer, I hope to um, get a law degree. So I've been preparing and studying um, for those tests and um, kind of preparing for what's next after soccer. I love soccer, but it's not the most intellectually stimulating. And I know it's not something I want to do forever. So preparing for going to law school, is something I spend my time on female footballers, honestly, if there's any really positive takeaways from COVID, it's that I got to be involved in such an awesome organization um, because we're able to meet on Zoom all the time and that kind of stuff. So being involved in my community through female footballers, I also do academic coaching, um, like English tutoring. And I'm actually the big thing. One of the coolest things from France that I took away is I'm now pretty conversationally fluent in French and I'm tutoring a seventh grader in French. So I became good enough to be able to do that. So I'm able to kind of take those skills that I actually got to learn through soccer and apply them to a real life skill. That's so cool. We need to have you and Lou have like a French discussion at some point. You speak that as her first language. That's so cool. So what, um, so you're going to go into law, which is awesome. And hopefully we keep you at female footballers as long as we possibly can. That's the goal. Um, but do you have, I think a lot of girls in America, they think of playing pro soccer and they think of whatever's in front of them, which is the NWSL. Um, and I think the point of us talking is to let girls know there are many different international leagues out there that they can also play in and get these amazing world experiences and culture, cultural experiences. I know I've been asked this about you before, so I'm just going to ask it, but is there interest in coming back to the States and playing in the NWSL? And if so, why? If not, why? I think people are curious sometimes. To be honest, it hasn't necessarily been something I've thought a ton about. Um, when I was first being recruited, so to say, by these European clubs, um, I did go on trial um, in the NWSL a little bit. And it's, it's very difficult, um, I think, first of all. Um, it's a very competitive league. So coming back to the U.S. and playing, um, it'd be interesting to see what the opportunities even were. Um, if I were to come back specifically because um, the team I've chosen, while it's very competitive, it's not necessarily a huge club in Europe. So it'd be interesting to kind of see if that would happen. Um, I personally don't have a strong interest. I'm always open to opportunities and I'm never going to say no to anything um, and would be very happy to try an opportunity if it was given to me. But it's not necessarily something that I'm seeking out, I guess I would say. Um, I almost feel like after I leave Europe, this kind of chapter of my life will probably close so I can go on and do other things. Um, 
but it's exciting to see kind of the expansion of the teams and all that kind of stuff. If there was a team in Oakland, hundred percent, I'd be there, but um, just cause I love the Bay area, but yeah, not necessarily a big goal of mine. Yeah. Well, I know there's talk about the Bay area getting a team, so we'll let them know you're, you, you know, you might be available on the air so <laughs> when, they, when they start, but what I think is really important too, for our listeners to hear is that being a professional soccer player, you still have time to put interests and time into doing other things. And if anything, from my perspective of being married to somebody and then also knowing all of you is, it's not just that you have time, but it's important to do these things. As For soccer sure. players um, and athletes in general, your time ends at some point. And to be prepared for the next steps, you've always been so good at, at looking at your next steps and looking at your life and what's coming next. And I think a lot of soccer players, even collegiately, they don't always think about what am I going to do when this ends and what happens next. And I think that leads to a lot of athletic identity issues. Mm-hmm. And so to put your time into something that you can use in your, in the next phase of your life is hugely important. And um, do you feel like who's the person in your life or, or is it you that's really like helped you say, Hey, I need to prepare for what's next. Is that something that you've always done? Do you have your parents who help with that? Because I think that, there's definitely a lack of direction um, if players don't have people in their life that are telling them that. And that leads to like, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know? I think, I don't necessarily know how unique this is to me, but soccer has never been necessarily who I am. It's always been something that I've done. I've always had so many interests that I don't think I've ever been defined by being a soccer player And I'm sure I'll be very like sad for a little when I don't play anymore. But to me, moving on and doing something else is also incredibly exciting. So I think that it's always been very self-driven. My parents have always been great sounding boards and kind of helping me navigate maybe what that path um, could look like. But always looking towards the next step has always been something that I've been very strong in. And I also think it can be a bit of a curse at times because I think I have a hard time sometimes staying in the moment and enjoying the moment. And you can reflect on it and how great it was, but consistently remind myself like you're here right now, that stuff's going to come later. So I think it's always been very self-driven, but to kind of to add to how important doing something else is, I think because professional soccer is a career where you do have more time than most people who have a nine to five, while it might not be the most predictable schedule or flexible, it gives you opportunities to explore things that you're interested in, whether it's like an externship in the off season or something that you want to do alongside. Because for me, just playing soccer is great, but it's not enough. I want to get more out of the experience, whether that's your volunteering or kind of the other stuff that I do. So it's just finding a passion outside of soccer too. Absolutely. I think you, I think you are more unique than the traditional American youth player who ends up playing collegiately though. I think a lot of girls end up, you know, they look at soccer as a, I'm a soccer player. That's an identity kind of. And I think that's where you're such a wonderful mentor for us and person that girls can look up to is just saying that like, it's one aspect of what I'm interested in. It's not who I am. It's something I'm good at. Um, but it's a tool in my toolbox, but it's not defining me. And I think that more, more and more girls, youth players, if you're listening, um, need to know that, that, um, we aren't the sport that we play, but that that sport that we do play can help 
catapult us into many different things that we're interested in and and um, and give us a lot, but it's not who we are. So um, I think that's pretty unique. And I've seen a lot of girls, even collegiately, who end their careers and they're like, what next? Maybe the NIL stuff is going to help with some of that. It'll prepare girls for what's next and give them more opportunities to to do that. But anyways, um, well, yeah. So anything else like any um, if you could give advice to any players who might be interested in playing internationally, like what should their first few steps be like? What What's a good sort of like, you know, what to do for them? First off, if you have people in your life who have done it, so if you have players at colleges or high schools that you've gone to that have played professionally or internationally, pick their brain, ask to have coffee with them, um, just ask them questions because everyone's experience is fairly different, um, but they'll be able to give you like tangible steps in terms of connections that they may have. So it's first about using your network. That's the biggest thing I've learned. It's kind of about who you know. The agent I'm with now, I got to be with from a former teammate who connected us together. So it's very um, networking based and soccer is a very small world. Um, I would definitely say if you're getting close to that part of your career, um, start researching some places that you'd maybe be interested in playing, pulling your highlights together. That's the biggest thing. The highlight reel is what shows coaches what you've done. That should be highlights as well as maybe some full games that you think you played really well in. So starting to pull those things together. But I think the biggest thing is also the NWSL is an excellent opportunity for a lot of girls, but I think people often don't see the other opportunities that are available to them. There's 20 plus countries in Europe and all of them have leagues. So that's a ton of teams with a ton of opportunities. Um, and it's a way that you can kind of continue playing the game and explore and move to a country or a culture that where soccer is the most important thing there, which has kind of been a really cool part of it too. That is awesome. Yeah. I wish every day that it was like that here in the Bay area. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. I think this is really helpful for girls that kind of don't always think outside the box of, of the opportunities that they have. And so hopefully they can learn from this and and start doing that research. So we really appreciate your little story on international play and we wish you so much luck with this new team. Um, can you tell everybody like, how do we watch international soccer? Because I think that's also something like, you know, the whole, you can't be what you can't see. How do we get to see more of it? So big thing, which is really cool right now is I think for the next four years, YouTube is partnering with, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's D-A-Z-N on YouTube. And you can watch all the UEFA Women's Champions League games that are going to be broadcast starting, I think, two weeks from now. So it's going to be like 60 different games of different big clubs, and it's all going to be on YouTube. So I think that's a great starting point. The cool thing about soccer is it is growing here, so it's available on on different domestic channels, but unfortunately that makes it difficult for Americans to watch it. Um, but some teams are streamed on YouTube, just even kind of follow specific teams that you're interested on in their social media. But I'd say a big starting point is to check that out on YouTube because they're that that is the best of the best soccer in Europe that you're gonna see. That's awesome. Yeah. And then it's awesome that that's that's happening because that's new and that hasn't always been the case. But I think that's partly why it's still like something that not everybody does. It's definitely becoming more popular to play overseas, but I think that's part of the, the issue is as girls, like we just don't see ourselves enough 
represented in these situations. So the more we can do that, the better. And, and um, thank you so much for being one of those people for our girls. So we thank appreciate you. You, you taking the time today. And um, if you guys wanna catch um, Haley playing, Haley, where, where should they find you personally? Um, you can, I pretty much post all of our team stuff on my Instagram. So you can find me at Haley with two Y's, H-A-L-E-Y-Y Lucas, L-U-K-A-S, Lucas with a K. There was no Haley Lucas available without two Y's. So that's how it is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye.